football was, I wouldn't say it was all I knew, but it was a big, big part of my life. Letting go of that, that dream that I had for so long. You know, I've played football since I was a, a little one. Mm-hmm. It's always been a part of my life. Um, so that was a, a tough choice for me to, to just like be real with myself and really literally hang up the cleats. You know, and you can always tell the ones who are going to go to the NFL, you know, this and that. But in the, in the cooking world, it's like you just see guys doing things that you're like, man, how they do that? Keeping that passion and that drive that I put so much into football and just poured it into in the cooking, and, you know, because you have to love it. You can't, it's, you can talk to any cook, any chef, you gotta love it. Cut it up, cut it up, bankroll, bankroll, euro, euro, peso, peso, cut it up, cut it up. I'm just doing me, everything is on me, oh, you matter what? Cut it up, cut it up, bankroll, bankroll, euro, euro, peso, peso, cut it up. I'm just doing me, everything is on me, oh, you matter what? Cut it up. In this episode, we're talking football, food, novel opportunities, and new ventures. Giving up one passion for another is always bittersweet. Cultivating new skills to make the transition from the line of scrimmage to cooking on the line has many challenges. My next guest shares his insight on some of the lessons learned on the football field and on the line. If you like sports and you're a foodie, you'll want to stay tuned because we're going long and deep into the end zone. Kickoff time starts now. Welcome to Eat, Live, Love, Train. It's not a tagline, it's a lifestyle in a community of individuals devoted to food, wine, and wellness. I'm your host, Chef Shannon, executive chef, certified sommelier, and certified wellness coach. Also, proud Air Force veteran. Hashtag gratitude. As you listen, this will be one of the best moments of your week where you're entertained like a stand-up, educated like a TED Talk, and enlightened like a sermon. If you're new around here, welcome. You can find me at eatlivelovetrain.com. Feel free to like, share, and subscribe. You can listen over at iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa TuneIn, Pandora, and Google Podcast. I appreciate you. And if you got something on your mind, feel free to DM me on Instagram at eatlivelovetrain. And if you're not new, then you already know how we get down around here. My next guest traded in his college football jersey for Chef White's. As a former defensive tackle at Iowa State, you would not want to see this brother come in your way. He hails from Chicago, Illinois, but now resides in San Francisco. Prior to that, he spent a few years living in Napa Valley, honing his skills as a chef and getting acquainted with various wines. Now, he's recently transplanted to the Yay area for a new chapter in his culinary career. You can find him on the gram at chef underscore bales. That's B-A-I-L-S. I would like to welcome to the show, Chef Bailey Johnson. Hey, what's going on? How's it going? Oh, man, it's going great. I appreciate you taking the pause for the cause, man. I know we've been playing some phone tag. Um, I know your schedule's been a little bit hectic. But, hey, this is a good thing. That means you are busy. You are gainfully employed. You got some opportunities going on and you are growing. So um, I welcome that small challenge. So I appreciate your time. You and I have had 
several conversations um, over the years, and I absolutely love your story. So start by telling people, you know, for you, you are a collegiate athlete playing D1 college football. How in the world did you go from football to the kitchen? I mean, (laughs) there is a correlation between cooking and sports, but we'll get into that later. But for you, a passion on the gridiron to a passion in the kitchen. Yeah. Bridge that gap, brother. Go ahead. Share that. How did you, how did you make that leap? Well, I would say unconsciously, I always was connected to food and um, always had like a, a really high interest in um, just food period and just being around it, just having a family that cooked often. Grandmother's like, probably a highly praised chef in the family. And then her daughters, um, including my mom, my dad on the grill. So like all that stuff was definitely around me, but I didn't know that was something, you know, that was a career option at that time. I just kind of always just knew that that was something I, I loved, you know, but and I would say I didn't know, I wouldn't know. I would say I kind of just loved it. And um, I think after football, it was, you know, a struggle for me trying to identify what it was I wanted to do as far as a career. Because football was everything for me. And once that was done, I had to switch gears and – you know, figure out what life was really about for me outside of football. And uh, I would say moving to Washington to pursue my football career was uh, really eye-opening because I ended up getting cut um, that following year after I played indoor football, went out there to play indoor to see if I could playing in the NFL, playing in the Canadian League. And things didn't really work out for me there, but I ended up staying around. And funny, funny story, I was working at Texas Row House, busting tables. And, um, you know, I never worked in a dish pit, but, I, you know, I saw how much hard work that a lot of those guys that worked in there did. Um, but I think busting tables was pretty, was pretty hard work and, you know, for me, it was kind of humbling because I went from playing collegiate sports at a major D1 school in the Big 12 and then went to playing indoor football, which, you know, I never saw myself playing. And then working in Texas Roadhouse, busting tables. But there's always a silver lining in, in uh, a lot of things that happen to you in life and in that situation, I was able to get closer to a kitchen in a professional setting, which opened my eyes to other things. And I would say it really gave me that um, push that I needed because 
I mean, I could have left and went back home to Chicago after I was cut from the football team, but I ended up staying out there pursuing that career in, in cooking. And, you know, I've had, had a few fails, um, you know, as I did pursue that career. Um, went from busting tables to doing expo, which led me into the kitchen a few times. But I was never permanently in that kitchen. So it was like a lot of back and forth with that. And I ended up leaving there after uh, a couple of years and opening up a new restaurant, a pizza, pizza restaurant in Washington State. Um, and worked there for about a year, moved back home and uh, worked at a deli for, for a while. And before I even went back to Chicago, um, I was kind of looking at culinary schools and all that stuff. But I know I don't want to get too deep into that because I know you got some other questions about about that, too. With the because um, there's a lot to unpack there with the cooking. There's a lot to unpack there with uh, football. Um, but let's back up here for a second. So when you were playing D1 football, what, what college did you go go to? I went to Iowa State. Okay. And then what position did you play? Defensive tackle and nose guard. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. Wow, man. So you were in the three technique. Wow. Um, so for those that uh, I got to give them a picture, uh, when you see Chef Bailey, man, he is a giant. Was there any, obviously you had a love for football mm -hmm. and then Earlier on in your dialogue, you said there was a love for food. When did the two, when did you have to choose? We know we all have to make a choice at some point, but for you, yeah. when was that definitive choice like, okay, football, or am I going to pursue culinary? I would say after I got cut, um, I pretty much had a choice to keep keep playing indoor football, but mm -hmm. go somewhere else to play, like a different state with a different team. Mm -hmm. um, I had a few few uh, other coaches recruiting me, but I was kind of you know it's kind of back and forth on it in the first place. Um, like after the first season, I was kind of like I don't know if this is worth it anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I need to start looking at you know, a different path, um, you know, outside of football. And I would say once I kind of made the choice that that food was going to be um, going to be that, that path, I would say that what made me make that decision was just kind of like me telling myself I need to pretty much grow up, you know, because being in college, you know, you're spoiled. You're on a full scholarship. you spoil You, you know, you, we do work hard, you know, as athletes, you do work hard and, you know, nothing's really handed to you. But when it came to, you know, things outside of football, it was, you know, pretty much, was handed to you. Your books literally were handed to you. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, your education paid for. 
Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I never really understood the struggle as a regular student. Mm-hmm. I understood the struggle of balancing school plus football, but I never really understood like what it took to uh, like put myself through school until I, you know, was had to do it later on in life. Mm-hmm. But I would say just, you know, growing up and just letting go of that, that dream that I had for so long. You know, I've played football since I was a, a little one. Mm-hmm. It's always been a part of my life. Um, so that was a, a tough choice for me to, to just like be real with myself and really literally hang up the cleats. Um, you know, another thing was two injuries. You know, I was I was blessed enough to come out of there with no serious injuries and you know, I have some things that linger, but nothing that I I've known for other athletes they are still dealing with to this day with serious injuries or you know, people who who've had worse. Um so those things, all those things played a big factor in for me making my decision. Most definitely. Wow, man. Um, you know, you said something that was really interesting that you had to make that choice and it was a hard choice for you to say, uh, to close that chapter in your book for football. Was there any, uh, obviously there was, there was some emotion there. Uh, can you talk about that emotion? Can you talk about how you felt the day or the week or the month when you said, okay, I'm going to have to hang up the cleats. Was it, was it super hard for you or was it a little bit easier for you? because you knew that you had something else to pursue in the culinary arts. No, it was, it was, it was tough. Yeah. It, was, it was tough because first, first off football was, I wouldn't say it was all I knew, but it was a big, big part of my life. Um, mm. It took up a lot of my time and a lot of my thoughts. Um, so that, that was tough. And then just like taking that risk of, you know, jumping into something so new and so fresh as far as just like working in a in a kitchen or working in a restaurant industry is like there are some similarities mm-hmm. with sports and in the restaurant business, but just like a lot of the people that I was jumping into the career with already had so much more experience and it was like it was like me, like I always use the comparison of me like hopping into um I don't know, like college football with like two years of high school experience. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like just little experience hopping into something that people have been, you know, practicing and doing their whole life. And, you know, it was it, it was like really it was really hard for me to just like accept that too. Like, damn, like I'm so used to being, you know, like in the in the big leagues with with guys who, you know, are are almost about we're about the same level. And there's some guys who are just super athletes or like super skilled, you know. And you can always tell the ones who are gonna go to the NFL, you know, this and that. But 
in the in the cooking world, it's like you just see guys doing things that you're like, yeah, how they do that? Like <laughs> flipping, flipping the the saute pan, and like that was always something. I was like, damn, I don't know how I would be able to do that. <laughs> but you know, like with everything, you just you practice and you get better at it. Your knife skills, you practice at, and 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 it's all about just practicing. And and the main thing I've I've learned is to just take that passion that I I had in football and put it into cooking. And that was like one of the things that really helped me to to prosper is just keeping that passion and that drive that I put so much into football and just poured it into into cooking. And, you know, because you have to love it. You can't – it's – you can talk to any cook, any chef. You gotta love it because it it has its rough patches in your in your growth when you're trying to pursue a career in cooking. You know, from pay to the hours to just you know, just it can get hectic in the kitchen. So it's it's you gotta have a love and a passion for it in order in order for you to. Uh, not survive, but for you to be resilient in it, you have to have those those things, I believe. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Um, there's a difference between liking it and loving it. Um, and you know, you can tell um, just from looking at somebody whether they like it or they love it. Um, so there's a big difference there. How long did it take for you from the time you hung up the cleats to the time you started in the kitchen. Was that a month? Was that a summer um, for you to trade one passion and try this other one? You know, how long <laughs> was that time frame? I was already working at Texas Row House at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but just like, just I needed a job because I wasn't, you know, room and board was paid for. So I was good on that front, but I needed spending money and I needed food money for the weekend. I needed money for the for uh, food on the weekends. Uh, meals weren't covered then. So unknowingly, I was already in where I needed to be for that time period. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whenever um, I would say during the season, I was I started working there like towards the end of the season, and I just continued working there. I didn't I planned on staying there to maybe play there again or go somewhere else. I was hoping I could get picked up from another team, so I just kept working there. And um, <clears throat> and the and I was pretty cool with the kitchen manager there. Um, I'll never forget Rocky. That's he was like, you know, the kind of the one that pushed me um, in the direction I needed to go sometimes. Uh, when, you, when you're busting tables, it's usually at most places um, that, that have that system of people that bust tables. They move up to server, to like being a server. And I remember just kind of, being in Rocky's ears, being like, man, I want to work in the kitchen. I want to work in the kitchen. And he was more so like, 
nah, you want to be serving. That's where the money is. Mm-hmm. And um, I was just, you know, I didn't, I didn't really care about all that at the time. You know, I didn't really care about the money part of it. It was more so about experience and just getting my foot in the door. And I didn't really understand that's like the impact of that at the time. I just like something just kept drawing me to it. You know, I would look back in the kitchen and and see those guys just going crazy on the grill or, <laughs> you know, doing all these these crazy things. I just like, man, that looks that looks like a challenge, but it looks like something, you know, I would enjoy doing. Um, you know, I think it's a really good skill set to have. Um, and I think just like getting told no so many times made me want to do it even more, you know, to prove that I could do it. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and the, and the introduction to that was me being able to do expedition, like being an expo at the time, Mm. um, and just like finishing plates and, and cleaning them up before they go out, make sure everything was on there that needed to be on there um, before it actually went to the table. So like pretty much the last line of defense. So that was that was a really good experience. Um, and then I got a chance to work in the in the kitchen a, a couple of times, but it wasn't it wasn't enough for me. So that's why I ended up you know changing kitchens going to a, a new I end up opening up a new a new place in Washington a new new restaurant out there which was was even more crazy of, a, of an experience for me but you know all in all it uh it all helped me grow as a as a chef and it all like makes me who I am today like it's not Michelin star restaurants that I worked at or I didn't work in some fancy kitchens uh, overseas, but, you know, my experience definitely um, makes me who I am. And, you know, it's like not that I wouldn't want to do those things, but that's where just life took me. Um, and I'm, and I don't have any regrets about it. I'm, I'm happy with, with how, you know, life, unfolded for me and then where it landed me. Wow. So as you made that transition from one restaurant to another restaurant, Mm. what point did you start thinking about culinary school? You know, what schools were you Mm. looking at? Was it just one school or was it a few different schools? Whenever I did transition from, uh, from Texas Royal house to, uh, it was called The Rock. I think it was called The Rock. It was a pizza restaurant. I was there for for a hot second. It was like, I was there for maybe like six or eight months. Um, and it was like, really because I knew somebody. And they knew that I was kind of fresh in the, in, the, in the cooking industry. And they gave me a chance. Mm-hmm. Um, and, <clears throat> and, I, and I was working... Uh, in the pasta kitchen and uh, it was, it was chaotic and it was, it was was a lot of learning going on, but I was just kind of going back and forth on like, what else is there? What else is there? And a friend of mine's 
put me on this book by uh, um, drawing a blank right now. He went to CIA. Anthony Bourdain's uh-huh. book, uh, mm-hmm. Kitchen Confidential. Yeah. And he speaks about how he started off in the kitchen before he went to culinary school. And then that kind of was like, man, that sounds that sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of looked at the school he went to. And I was like, man, that school looks like it's expensive. It looks like it's be tough to get into. So I kind of just wrote that off as, you know, whatever. And I started looking at schools around Washington State. I checked out Cordon Bleu. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I checked out a few other schools, but the ones I visited were, it was only two schools. I checked out Cordon Bleu, and then I checked out uh, uh, Community College in, um, in Seattle, in West Seattle, which it was a community college, but it's still it was still a decent school and it was affordable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would have been able to take some some good classes there. Um, but I ended up just kind of I don't know, I kind of just got away from it, ended up moving back home. And it was when I moved back home and I started working um, at Dunning's Market, which is Delhi I worked at for two to three years, um, I started looking back into school and I really started pursuing uh, CIA. And um, mm-hmm. and, at, and at that point, I was just trying to decide if I wanted to go to California, if I wanted to go to New York. So mm-hmm. that's when I, you know, really started diving into that option. And what made you choose the... Uh... Napa Valley campus as opposed to the Hyde Park campus? Uh, I would say looking at it, I was, I saw that you could do, um, get your associates at the campus here in California and it's California. So I was like, uh, let me check that let me check this campus out first. You know, I never, I had never really been to California before that. I mean, besides like when I was too young to remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got a chance to like really learn about the program. And I saw that there was an opportunity for me to do a couple of years here and then, and then finish up in New York and get my uh, bachelor's in New York. And that was my my big picture goal uh, at first. Um, and that's that's kind of what, you know, drove me to do that, uh, mm-hmm. to choose the California campus. It's like, man, I can get the best of both worlds, you know, see the food scene in California and then end up seeing the food scene in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that was my big goal. And then share with the audience, uh, How'd you feel when you first pulled up on that campus, Greystone? Man, it was crazy. <laughs> it's like going going from uh, like flying into SFO, and then like I think I stayed a night in SF, in uh, SF, and then that next day I started driving into Napa Valley. I was like, "What is this place? This is." This is crazy. Like it was, 
you know, literally like stuff you see on movies, like the yeah. big wineries and um, like all those expensive houses all throughout the valley. And I'm like, man, I don't know if I could live here. This is looking, <laughs> looking crazy. You go from like, Chicago to Washington yeah, State like, what back to this? Chicago. And now you've been Napa Valley. And it's like, yeah. whoa, hey. What was some of your challenges while you were in culinary school? I would say the biggest challenges for me was just the education portion of it. Um, Like being in the kitchen and all that stuff was, was, it was a challenge just because I didn't have much experience, but as far as like sitting down, studying, Mm-hmm. Our test taking, those things were have always been sort of, sort of a challenge for me, and uh, you know, playing at Iowa State and and going to school there, you know, they say education first, and then your sports, but really, you know, it's you you we all knew what that meant. Got to perform. Um, yeah, first. You got to yeah. perform. <laughs> In order to keep your scholarship, you got to perform. You got to you got to do all the things you need to on and off the field. And I mean, that did include education. But, um, you know, it, in my mind, football was always like pretty much the forefront of everything. So I didn't take the education piece as as serious as I should have and getting into culinary school was like it was it was it was a big eye-opener for me because you know I had to actually had to push myself I remember being in that in the over in the in the study hall lounge it's always trying to stay ahead you know I knew I had to do extra extra hard work in order for me to to, to actually make it in culinary school because it, it isn't all about just performing. It's about performing plus, you know, you have to do well on tests. You have to, you know, do all your reports on time and you have to, you know, have to have good grades in order to keep pursuing um, what you're trying to do in culinary school. So that yeah. that was that was definitely a challenge for me. That was that was tough. I think that um, you know, a lot of people prior to them getting to culinary school, especially the CIA, um, they're under this illusion that it's just all about cooking. And a lot of that mm-hmm. stems from uh, the Food Network and all these other cooking shows. But <laughs> real quick within that first week of stepping foot on that campus, no matter what campus you go to, whether it's High Park campus, Greystone, or San Antonio campus, um, you you realize real quick that you gotta be good in the kitchen and you gotta be good in the classroom. Um, one doesn't make up for the other. You can be really good in the kitchen and half-assed in the classroom and your skills in the kitchen is not going to carry you. Um, you got to be good in both. What uh, what were some of your other memorable experiences while you were at the CIA? Um, I would say 
just connecting with other chefs. Um, mm-hmm. Met a lot of really, really interesting and, and uh, really cool chefs at, at CIA that, you know, that really had a big impact on me then and they still do now. Um, you know, Chef Wong, Chef Kawachi, Chef Kelly. Um, I could keep going. You know, it's like so many different chefs that that I met over those over that time that I was there. Um, that you know, they they mentored me and and they you know they showed me the ropes. They knew that I cared. And, you know, they knew that I was trying. And they took all that into consideration, you know, at my, during my time there. And, um, you know, it was, it was, it was a really good experience um, learning, like, different teaching techniques from each chef. Um, and just, like, hearing their stories, you know, and, and how they ended up at CIA or like what they did before they got to CIA. I think that was like really cool to me to, to learn all those things. And, um, and then also just meeting all the students there, like hearing their background stories and, um, and, and some of the friends I've made when I was in school, you know, it was, there, I've, I made some pretty good friends that I'm, I still talk to to this day, um, including you. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's like um, some of the biggest things I think stood out to me. Did you ever reflect on your time back in Washington State, Texas Roadhouse, the pizza spot? Did you reflect and say, man, just in that short amount of time, look where I am now. Um, to invest further in your culinary education to get better? Did you ever reflect on that and say, wow, I'm here, I'm doing it? Most definitely. Um, Just like, yeah, it's crazy to think about um, because I, I would say after I left Washington State, I went back home and I went back into that state of being like kind of lost. It was kind of like at a point I was like, damn, like I didn't go to culinary school. Now I'm back home mm-hmm. with, with my fam, like staying at home. And uh, I, at, at the time in Washington State, I had, I was working like, it was a point I was working like two or three jobs because before I left Texas Roadhouse, I was I started working at the new new job. So I started rolling to that new job. And then on the side, I was working at FedEx. So when I went back home, I just transferred with FedEx. So I still had a job, but it was like part time. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember like doing a stage at this one job that it just didn't work out. And then I ended up falling into Dunning's Market because my mother knew that the owner there that worked there. And so she kind of got me in the door with just introducing me to the owner. And mm-hmm. uh, like, I really was able to get into the creative side of cooking 
at the deli, you know, putting in new dishes every day or like the normal dishes plus, you know, things that the owner would let us kind of have fun with. And if we want our other produce, we can get that in, you know, and, and that was like, that was a lot of fun for me. And that I would say when you work in a restaurant, it's different than working in a, in a deli or like some place where you have a creative freedom where you can, you know, create dishes that are going to be on display. You mm-hmm. have like some kind of ownership on like to that dish mm-hmm. or um, like create like, you come up with the soup every day during the, the colder times of the year. Um, those, those things, I think, I reflect on a lot too, just like where I came from from there. And, you know, I had, how I ended up the CIA and then, you know, a cliff and now, you know, where I'm at now. So it's like, I, I often do think about those things and, and reflect on it. And it, it and it does kind of amaze me, amaze myself sometimes. But you know, I don't try to loathe in it too much. I try to, you know, keep pressing forward and trying to find, you know, what else is out there for me to learn and, and for me to challenge myself. Absolutely, man. It's all about growth and it's all about experience. Um, but you know, you can't grow and you can't gain that experience without introspection and reflection um you know during the uh 2017 napa valley wildfires um during that downtime when we had to evacuate from school that was a perfect example of okay now it's time to introspect and take a look and see you know what am i going to do with this downtime while we're out of school um and do you remember how you felt during the uh Napa Valley wildfires in 2017. You know, I remember we bugged out a bunch of us caravan down to uh, San Francisco. But, you know, during that time we were out of school, what was going through your mind? Um, it was definitely scary. I remember I was on duty that night when it started breaking out and the fires really started kind of spreading bad. I, I remember being like being on duty on campus, not at the joint, like at the, that the lodge is a little bit further away from campus. Yeah. You're at one of the houses, weren't you? Yep. Yeah. Yep. I was at, uh, what was it? What, what is it called? The, the guest house right next to the campus. Yeah. Um, I forget what it's called, but I was there for my shift that night. And I remember just kind of walking out and looking into the into the mountains and seeing like fire. And I just mm. remember being like, man, that looks pretty close. That's crazy. But like being new to California and just fires in general, I didn't realize how serious it was. Mm. And so as it unfolded and I saw like students leaving and you know, like people preparing for evacuation, it became more and more real. And it was like, you know, it's like, man, this is this is getting pretty crazy. You know, I didn't I didn't know what to do or like um 
you know, what to expect. And so in that time, it was like really a pause on, on everything, like on cooking and, you know, all that stuff. It was just like kind of survival mode for, mm-hmm. for a lot of us. You know, you know Sam, together. it's, you know, that time there was a lot of, there's a, there's a lot of lessons learned there um, from me, just from looking at how other people dealt with it. Me being a veteran, um, and being deployed countless times, used to seeing fire pits and being around all that stuff and smoke. But <laughs> after my military career, you know, I'm thinking that's done and over with. I ain't got to worry about that no more. And then yeah. all of a sudden, it's just like, okay, <laughs> it's ain't supposed to happen, man. I'm in culinary school now. Um, but it was interesting to see how we all handled it differently. Um, one of the things that I absolutely commend uh, the staff for and the RAs for was bef- before we evacuated, we had three or four days without power in the school. I mean, in the dorms. And so uh, the staff and all of the RAs pulled together. And I remember you guys were cooking meals with students and things like that. Um, basically freestyling cooking, you know, um, and you were, you know, some students had previous experience before they went to the CIA, some students didn't have any, but once they were at the CIA, they gained more experience. And then when the, when the uh, power went out, people were just doing family meal, just freestyling, you know, and cooking. And so all the RAs came together along with some of the instructors. And um, I remember you guys were really making things happen, you know, for the students and everything, whether if it was a breakfast meal uh, a lunch meal and or a dinner meal, you know, during that time yeah. that the power was out in the dorms. And so it was interesting to come into to walk into that kitchen and, you know, you see the different types of food that the students had made um, based off of what we still had in the walk-ins at school. Um, and, and real talk, you know, a lot of this food was uh, just off the cuff and it was excellent you know so you guys did an excellent job and i always say it was, it was a different experience pool from these different ras that made that happen did you ever get a chance to take part in like the bash or did you ever take part in the world's flavor conference anything like that work with any of those chefs um i did the rose challenge hey how was that uh, Chef Lars, that was cool. That was that was fun. I was there, and that, like that first semester, like fresh, like um, I would say we were probably like a few weeks into our classes, and then the rose challenge was going on. And um, I remember a couple of my classmates. We we were like, let's just do it, man. Let's just see what happens, and. Uh, we did well, but you know we didn't we didn't make it past the first round. And then um, I ended up doing it again the following year, and we ended up making it all the way to the uh, CIA Copia. And I think we got like they don't really tell you what place you got into, but we were I want to say four teams advanced out of eight for the 
big challenge at at CIA Copia, mm-hmm. and it was it was a good it was a good experience. It was nice. It was nice to like get that feeling <laughs> of like being on Chopped or like being on like uh, mm. Top Chef or something like that. But it was more so teamwork. It wasn't like you do everything on your own. It was more like you know everybody has to work together and and agree upon like a dish that we're gonna you know display mm-hmm. and you know and, and the, the challenge was to make it pair with the rosé like make it you know work with the rosé mm-hmm. and so that was a different you know aspect that was nice do you remember the menu you guys paired with it the second time you did no i don't actually i yeah. don't even remember I think uh, if you look at that version of yourself at that period in your career and you look at the version of yourself now, what would you do differently for that Rosé Challenge? I think we were so focused on, uh, I mean, I know you want to make your dish look pretty and make it look nice, but I think think we didn't really focus on making it actually pair with the Rosé. I think that was like one of the biggest things that I yeah. think we could have focused more on. I, I, um, that's tough to make something pair with with a, <laughs> a wine. It's not an easy thing to do. You know what? I, I, I have to admit, uh, I, I kind of set you up, I guess, <laughs> so to speak. Um, <laughs> because me being, I'm a, I'm a sommelier also for my listeners out there. Um, what a lot of chefs will do is that it's always food forward first, then the wine. Mm-hmm. And for certain competitions, that's not the approach at all. It's sometimes it should be wine forward first, then the food. And so you, as a chef, you have to approach that differently. And it's easier if you're a sommelier as well, because you know both sides of the coin. But when you're just a chef, it's a little bit different. And everything is all about, we think more of the food first um, and the ingredients and all that other stuff first before the wine and taking the characteristics of the wine into consideration, the style of wine, the vintage and so on. Um, and so it's uh, one of the huge advantages of going to school in the Napa Valley um, is getting that experience whether you're a sommelier or a chef or both, you're getting that experience because you know at some point later on in your career, um, you're going to be able to use that knowledge of pairing wines with foods or foods with wine. And a lot of people think they're one and the same, and they're not. It's a little bit different approach. So um, <laughs> I, I did set you up on that one, but uh I wanted to ask you that and, and get your take on it. Um, and I commend you for doing that, not just once, but twice. Cause there's, you know, there's some, there's some students that will be intimidated by doing a, uh, um, doing the bash or doing some type of challenge, um, you know, for different reasons, but I think you gain experience the more you do it and it'll mm-hmm. definitely serve you later on in your culinary career where you can look back and say, hey, man, I remember I did this, and this is what we did. And no matter where you placed, no matter if you won 
or you came in 10th place. It's about the experience because you always be able to use that later on in your culinary career. Um, now, the uh, Chef Lars, how'd you like working with Chef Lars? I love him, man. He's just so fired up. Yeah, Chef Lars is dope. He's, uh, he actually, um, when I was at Cliff, Cliff Winery, um, he actually was a guest chef there. So it was, it was like even when I was on my externship, that's when I did the rosé challenge. Like I was not even act like technically I wasn't in school. Like I was doing my externship, but I was able to um, do the challenge because I was in town. Mm. Um, so like working with Chef Lars and just like he even came by the food truck a few times when I was at Cliff Um He's he's a good person and he really loves what he does. And uh, you know, it's, it was awesome working with him. And and I think it even like being like first working like with him um, the first time I did the challenge, I think he was kind of like, uh, he's a new, like, you know, I was a newbie. So it was like, I didn't really get a chance to connect with him because, mm -hmm. you know, he had his, you know, he had his students that had been there and putting in work and we, we were kind of fresh. Mm -hmm. And so I think me seeing him seeing me still around, you know, it it showed that I was serious about what I was doing, mm. you know, and I think that um, I think he really appreciated that. Can you talk about the um, your time at Cliff um, and for, for our listeners out there, um, the Cliff family? are the originators of the Cliff Bar. Um, and what a lot of people don't know outside of Napa Valley, outside of California, is that they have a restaurant and they have a farm and they have a food truck. Can you talk about that? Man, so much to talk about. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, I just remember, uh, like, I had no idea of the correlation between the two. I just remember seeing a food truck in town and I don't remember seeing any other food trucks. And I know that like food trucks were one of the big interests I had um, going to school. Like I knew I wanted to learn more about it um, and just like business and food. Um, and I just, whenever I was looking for somewhere to do my externship at, um, Cliff family came up, you know, as like the only one that had a food truck. And so uh, the um, counselor there kind of connected me with an old uh, student that worked at uh, Cliff Magnus. He still works there now, but um, he connected me with him. I went by, you know, I checked the truck out, got food really enjoyed it but not not I didn't realize that you know that it was connected to a winery at that time and so um whenever I went by there I didn't really check out the winery part I just you know got food and you know did that part but when I ended up actually interviewing for the the position there 
um, to do my externship, I learned more about the company and um, I learned that they or they are actually in junction with uh, Cliff Bar and the owner, Kit, Kit and Gary, um, they come there quite a bit too. So they, they really are hands on. And uh, they have the headquarters um, out here in the Bay, um, in Emeryville, where they do a lot of their production and a lot of their uh, corporate work is done there too. Mm. Uh, but they're they're pretty deep, man. They they have the, you know like you said they have a farm, really big on organic and and like doing it the right way, being sustainable, mm-hmm. and you know all those things I learned. Uh, being at Cliff was was really good and really good to add on to, you know, all the other things I learned, just, you know, working in the food industry, but just learning how to brand yourself and like, and really stand by what you, you know, what you, who you are and what you stand for is, is big. And I learned that being at, at Cliff, like, mm-hmm being in work so close with, with Kid and Gary, you know, seeing how they, how they're so involved, you know, it really meant a lot um, to see that, you know, and especially for somebody like me that wants to pursue, you know, something like that, you know, building a brand that's that big is, is, it's really crazy to think about, you know, because I remember seeing Cliff Bars, way before I even moved to California and yeah. I didn't even know anything about it, but just like knowing that they live, you know, they live here and, you know, they, they are so hands-on with everything. Like even when it comes to the wine, you know, they're, they're in on that process a lot. And, you know, they, they come to the restaurant and dine there quite a bit. Um, and they live on the property where the where the farm is too, so they they're part of that process too. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's it, it really it's really cool to see that, you know, and to to know if you work hard enough, you can you can do that because Gary started from a bar, like he created the bar, mm-hmm. and then you know everything kind of fell into place from there. It's a lot more into it than that, but. Sure. You know, he he uh he really started from nothing to, to a big empire. You know, it's interesting. Um you said that, you know, even before you went to culinary school, you remember seeing Cliff Bar and little did you know that you wouldn't know a lot more about it years down the road. Um and the same is for me. I remember um, you know, being deployed in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Kuwait in various places, um, we would always get care packages, you know, from back home. And one of the things that was highly coveted was energy bars or cliff bars, because we could just, you know, if we go out on mission outside the wire, we could take them, throw them in our rucksack, um, have them with our MREs, whatever. They were just so easy to take and pretty good too, you know, Um, because they had some carbs, they had energy, and they were just really easy and compact, no matter how lean you were packing. Um, it was easy to throw in uh, some uh, cliff bars in your backpack or whatever. Um, and then going to Napa Valley, 
And then when you told me, that, hey, this is where I'm doing my extern, I was like, all right, cool. And then uh, the following year, when I came back for the wine program and you were at the food truck and I went to go check you out and see you in action, you know, and taste the food, I was just like, yeah, yeah, you're at your spot. This is, this is definitely you. Um, so it was great to see you. You had that shine. You was getting that experience and they were taking care of you and you were happy, man. And um, it's awesome to see that. Um, yeah, and yeah, go and, ahead. And we were we were also able to, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I was able to went from, you know, I spoke about working at Dunnings and having that creative outlet at Cliff, that the guest guest chef series where um, Chef Lars came in, do what he wanted to do or for his food. Everybody, all the cooks there were able to do that too. You know, create your own menu and then. We did street food every Wednesday within that window. You had like a four or five hour window where you were able to, you actually sold your food at that period. But before that, those mm-hmm. prior days leading up to it, you were basically working on your menu and, and like putting the food together for it to be sold on Wednesday, which was amazing. Because you 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 know you get that sense of ownership, you get that sense of like uh, independence. You know, obviously, you don't you're not doing it all alone, and everything that you you create or what you you want to do, you run it by the chef. But you know, that's still, I, I really think that was a big a big thing for me. You know, because I'm all about you know creativity. And just having freedom to to do that, and I think being at Cliff was was really uh, a good development for me, like menu development, and just like you know, even talk about setting the price and, mm-hmm. and learning, you know, what's what makes sense to charge, you know, as far as what you yield from the product that you get, um, and like how much labor you put into it, and. You know how much you're trying to get back from what you spent on what you what you got. So all of those things, you know, played a big factor into you know what went into that street food every Wednesday. Now I am, you know, having spent time working at one of the most prominent wineries in Napa Valley for yourself. Do you notice? how much experience you've gained as a chef from working at a winery in their food truck to before you did that and just being a chef, how much knowledge have you gained with food and wine? I would say a lot. I would say um, just being around it, you know, Mm -hmm. you learn, you know, before COVID hit, um, we used to do these meetings where whenever whenever there was a new wine release, we would do tastings and just kind of like we would all compare what like what we thought we tasted like, you know, what notes are you getting? Uh, like, what's your favorite wine from this this uh, release? And, um, you know, even when the new wines would come out, we would all get a bottle from the new release, you know, so you could take it home and, and try yourself. And, 
mm-hmm. you know, with that, just being around it, I was able to learn more about wine, you know, even not even thinking about it, you know, just like trying the different wines and learning the different names and the different like processes of, of, of like how it's made. You know, I was able to learn those things without even really putting any effort into it, you know, and, and then to be able to take some home and to, you know, like continue to learn about it on my own, you know, was pretty awesome. Um, you know, just like being immersed in it really, really was pretty impactful for me. Now, speaking of that, because I never asked you this question, never got around to it. Um, even when I was in the, living in Napa Valley, do you have a favorite wine varietal? Do I have a favorite wine? Yeah. Do you have a favorite varietal? Like, is it a Chardonnay? Right. Is it a Pinot Gris? Um, Cabernet? I don't know. Yeah. Um, let me see. I'm looking at my wines here. I, I really like because uh, Clint hooked me up before I left. They they definitely hooked me up. I would say um, I know this is kind of cliche, but I really like the rosé. The rosé is really good. Um, and then the Grish Caminer, the Mendocina. Mm. Is really good. And Mendo Gravistamina, like yes, yes, okay. Yeah, and then um, the cab for sure is uh, like for the red. I really like that. Or right, the the cab or the Zinfandel. Are you much more comfortable now doing, say, a food and wine pairing now than you were three years ago? Or even oh yeah, yeah, okay, most definitely, yeah. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask that question because a lot of chefs uh, get intimidated because um, they realize that, you know, they don't know as much about wine as they probably should. Um, and that chefs at every level. Now, do you have like an ideal for you, one of your favorite ideal food and beverage pairings, whether that is something that you cook for a client um, or something that you cook for yourself? Yeah, I would say like something spicy, like Caribbean food, like maybe some jerk chicken, Hi. some rosé. I like a, I like a jerk fish. I like a grilled fish with some, some rosé or some kind of white. Go ahead with your bad self. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, um, you know, let's talk about one of the oldest debates out there. You know, should people go to culinary school first or just completely bypass culinary school and just start working in a professional kitchen? What do you think? Man, to be honest, I think uh, it goes back to what I said earlier. Um, Like reading that that, uh, Anthony Bourdain book, Kitchen Confidential, I already kind of was working in the industry and I was like, man, I'm already kind of doing what he's talking about, like Mm -hmm. getting that experience. And then I was like, well, should I just go ahead and 
you know, hop into school since, you know, that's kind of like what he kind of did. And, you know, you see what, what Anthony Bourdain did before mm-hmm. he passed RIP. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he did a lot of amazing things. And he's such an open-minded person. So, you know, I, I felt like going down that path could have been, uh, could be like good for me. You know, if it worked for him, why wouldn't it work for me type yeah. thing? But I think either way you go, you have to get experience. So, I mean, if it's, if it's going to school first and then hopping in the career, I mean, that's, you could do that. But I think you just kind of, I think when you go to into the restaurant business first and then kind of go to school, you have more appreciation um, for, for the restaurant business because um, you kind of, you kind of learn like different techniques as opposed to like just being thrown in a fire. I think in restaurants you get trained, but eventually you get thrown in the fire. You have to learn mm-hmm. how to cook under pressure. And there's no other way to do that besides getting just put right into it, you know? And that's the way I learned a lot of times is just like literally just getting thrown in the fire. Just like, go do it. Like you get taught, but you can't, you can't really teach when service is busy you know you have to like work through that and and figure out what works best for you um and that's what i think the restaurant business taught me in school taught me skill sets it taught me the basics that i didn't really get taught um um, and just like fundamentals you know that was like chef wong and fundamentals mm-hmm. was like the biggest thing for me at CIA because I didn't really get all that. You know, I just hopped right into it mm-hmm. and just like went for it. But going to school kind of slowed it down mm-hmm. and broke down a lot of those things that I didn't really take the time to learn. And that's, the, you know, that's, that's big. You got to, mm-hmm. You can't have one without the other. So, yeah. I mean, you could go to, you could just go the route of just working in, in restaurants and doing that. You could, you know, you could learn all those things doing that. But I think why not get the best of both worlds if you're capable and if you can afford it, mm-hmm. you know, because school isn't it for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually didn't even graduate from CIA. I ended up dropping out. Um, halfway through the program just mm-hmm. because I, you know, I had financial issues and, you know, other things going on that didn't allow me to finish. You know what though, man, um, I think you and I have had, definitely had this conversation before. And one of the things I always tell students is, um, you know, it's not the diploma from the CIA or from any culinary school that makes you a chef. Once you were there, you got the experience and then you took it a step further, went on your externship, and you were having a completely different experience, um, one that was still in culinary, but you were growing. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, you made a decision to say, hey, you know what? I'm in it. I'm immersed and I'm learning more. Um, and so whether you get the diploma or not, uh, you're still a chef um, because you're still in the game. You're still doing it. You still have that love for it and you're still growing. So the diploma is irrelevant because you're getting that education far beyond the graduation date, far beyond you receiving that diploma. And I think we live in a culture now where <clears throat> a lot of emphasis is placed on the diploma, but people forget you're not going to school to get the damn piece of paper. You're going to get the knowledge. And for some individuals, once they get the knowledge that they need, they will take it a step further, still stay in culinary and grow even more than people that just stay to get the degree and never grow. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Um, and I use this forum um, as a food and wine and wellness educator to let people know it's not about the damn diploma. Tell me what you learned. What experience did you gain? What relationships did you form? Do you love it or do you like it? What are you doing now? How are you cooking? What are you pairing? And a lot of folks can't answer that, but you have a diploma. So that's irrelevant to me. Um, and I never judge a chef based off of uh, their, them graduating or not. Because as far as I'm concerned, you're doing it. Damn it, you graduated. Because there's a lot of folks, they got the diploma, but they ain't doing shit. And even in the industry. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, who was it, man? Chef Amir said it best. You know, he says what? <laughs> He's been teaching for almost 30 years. He says a lot of people aren't in the culinary industry within five, six years of even graduating. You know, whether it's a recession or a pandemic or not, they're not even in, they're not even in the industry. You know, so those of us that are in it and continue to grow and grow with technology says a lot about you, you know, you love it, you know, and you love service. And I think that's a big part of hospitality. Um, but Hey, speaking of pandemics, what did you do during that downtime? You know, what did you, what did you learn? How did you take that time to do some self introspection? Um, to be honest, we were still going at it. Um, I would say I probably got like a week of downtime, mm -hmm. but we were considered essential workers. So we stayed open during the pandemic. Um, but, you know, shifting gears from, you know, being on the food trucks to just being in the kitchen was, was, uh, mm. was pretty, was pretty tough for me because, you know, that was, that was big for me. Um, being on the food truck and uh you know we no longer could do that with everything going on we had to back off of that whole um scene because you know nobody really knew what was going on and and being on the food truck with that many people you know it's kind of risky um you know with such a a crazy virus jumping around, you know, they didn't want to risk that and risk us as employees. So we kind of just stuck to the kitchen, which we have more space um, and more room to, you know, to work, I would say. 
mm-hmm. and not have to worry about transmitting anything. But I would I would say, you know, seeing that it really showed me how to transition. Um, you know, like if I were to ever have my own business at some point, mm-hmm. I see what I would need to do if if this were to ever occur again. Um, like going from having an area where people can sit down and eat, um, you know, going from that to, you know, people can't sit down and eat anymore. So you got to do curbside pickup or, you know, package the food for people to take somewhere else to eat. And that was big because, you know, a lot of places weren't ready to make that transition. Um, And I feel like we were already kind of doing that before, like having the option for you to take the food to go Mm -hmm. versus you getting it plated up for you to eat there on site. So we were already kind of in that direction, you know, but the pandemic definitely amplified it and definitely took it to another level of, uh, you know, contactless transactions like mm-hmm. putting it on the table for people just to pick up and take you know not like actually handing it to them you know like and mm-hmm. wearing gloves when you take the food out you know all those things like that just re re-emphasized everything you know it like really made you more conscious of of like how you handle food and like your approach to dealing with customers, you know, mm-hmm. like I would say yeah, out of all the things that was probably the most self-reflecting as far as the restaurant standpoint mm-hmm. and as far as personal, um, you know, it was, it was scary. You know, it was scary, like trying to figure out what was really going on, going into work, not seeing anybody on the streets. was really crazy to me. You know, I was like, yeah, it was, it, you know, I had a lot of emotions going on, you know, but I, you know, I stuck with it because, you know, Cliff, they're big on, you know, making sure that their, their employees are good, but also they want to provide for the community, keeping people encouraged and, and having that, you know, that them having the option to still get food from us, when, you know, they could, and that was big for them. And, you know, that's, that's a lot, you know. That keeps people coming back, you know, when they when they feel valued and appreciated. And I think that was, you know, that was something I learned working there. You know, it's interesting to hear um, different uh, takes from different chefs on what they did during the downtime, whether they were affected. Um, but we were all affected one way or another. But, you know, um, you and I, you know, we have colleagues and friends that were uh, really affected in terms of just being unemployed um and then we have uh peers that uh you know we're fortunate to still be working um it's interesting as california gets ready to open up again um with the wineries with the restaurants and all this other stuff here in texas we've been open um you know how we get down to Texas. <laughs> um, yeah. But California is a little bit different. New York's a little bit different. Other places are a little bit different. Um, but as you guys get ready to reopen, I think you're going to see 
um, first of all, you're going to see a huge change from all levels, from the restaurateur level, the GM level, the line cook level, the executive chef level, front of the house, back of the house, so on and so on. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see at each of those levels who did what during this downtime. Um, because there are some of individuals, whether they are working or not, learned more skill sets, learned another valuable skill set. And then there's some that didn't, you know, maybe, you know, they were out of work, but they didn't learn any other skill set, you know. Um, and I think uh, I think you're going to start you're going to see that more because um, you're going to have people that are more hungry now, um, that are more driven to succeed to stand out, um, having, cause face it's been over a year. And so people are pent up, man. And they're like, yo, we open back up. I'm going full throttle. You know what? Maybe before this, maybe I wasn't going, giving my hundred percent, but now I got all this energy pent up and I've learned I need to level up and go 110% when the opportunity presents itself. So I think you're going to really start seeing that folks are going to be a little bit more competitive, not in a negative way or malicious way, but more in a uh, positive way. Now, what are some of the favorite meals that you like to prepare just, you know, for you while you're home, like some of the meals you like? Is it oxtails, braised oxtails? Is it lamb shanks? What is it for you? Oh man, I do love me some oxtails, but I've been really getting into making curries, and I would say pizza. Like I have a bigger, like a oh. pizza starter I've had for for a while. How long you had that bigger? Man, I would say almost a year now. All right, what's the name? What's his name? No, you name your bigger. Don't um, front. <laughs> I actually haven't named them. Okay. I should name them now. All right. Hey, listen, let's let's back up. <laughs> Cause our listeners like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, tell them what yeah. tell them tell them what big is. <laughs> big is basically um it's like sourdough starter. Um but with bigger it's you let it ferment just a little bit longer at room temperature to give it give it just a a nice uh, sour sour taste. It's more about the flavor, mm. and it it does influence the texture. Gives it a little bit of a different texture too, but it's mainly about that flavor profile that it gives it. And uh, you know, you do a certain ratio when you add it to the to the actual the flower i think it was your class yeah it was definitely your class you guys were doing um in charge of doing family mail and for that one week you guys were doing breakfast for dinner mm. and you guys your class was smoking hot on them sourdough pancakes man oh yeah and i ate for that entire week <laughs> i ate sourdough pancakes for dinner, it was fire. 
it didn't yeah. matter who was on that grill, whoever was doing it. Yeah. Class was on point. So, yeah, big ups on that. Shout out. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing about food, man. It doesn't matter how long ago you had it. It is always going to be a point of reflection in your life. I'm going to be 80 years old still talking about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> be in the nursing home. Boy, back in my day, boy, they had this. <laughs> oh, man. Um, there's food that I had, you know, when I was back in Paris, when I was in Amsterdam. And it's just like, it just, that's the thing about food, man. It just transcends time. You remember what it tasted mm-hmm. like. You remember who you were with. You remember what was said. You remember what wine was drunk. Um, food has that power to encapsulate us and to give us introspection on uh, many of the of the great things in life, man. I think, and that's a, that's very important. And uh, as chefs, we love bringing that to people. Um, it's one of the superpowers that we have as chefs. Um, you know, what's a common myth that you just want to debunk about being a chef? Um, I would say, I know that drugs are like pretty, pretty well known. Like, you know, people think that a lot of chefs use hard drugs, but I don't think that's a, that's a fact. I think it maybe once was a culture, but I don't think it's, you know, like drug abuse is as relevant as it was, you know, back in the day. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. I, do I know that for a fact? No, but I know for myself, it's not fact. You know, I can only speak for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm usually pretty clear headed and, mm-hmm. and when I'm at work, I'm ready to, to, to do what I need to do. Um, you know, and, I, and a lot of my friends are the same way. Mm-hmm. You know, they take their craft very serious and mm-hmm. you can't really do that when you when you're disoriented or under influence. It's hard to um like really focus on what you're doing when you're under the influence. And mm-hmm. you know, I've in all the years I've been working, you know, I've I could say that I've experimented before and it's never worked out. <laughs> the influence of anything it's never it's never a good shit you yeah. know it's always something you know that I, w- I would regret if I ever did try that go mm-hmm. that route um, you know I learned that early on mm-hmm. so you know it's, it's like it's just about you know some people you know that you know they may be able to work with those those type of influences but for me mm-hmm. they don't really mesh you know it doesn't work for me uh, and that's just something i think you know a lot of people kind of get twisted mm-hmm. in, the, in the restaurant industry well let me ask you this you know given your experience um from working with wine with the cliff family and then also being in California, obviously uh, cannabis is legal there. Um, yes. One of the things that I that I see growing is uh, one cooking with uh, 
cannabis, you know, CBD mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. And so depending on what state you're in, and if you're a chef, that's certainly a niche that not, it's not only marketable, it's very profitable. Um, and then, so I see that being um, not a trend, but I see that being an actual thing, cooking with cannabis. Um, and then also on the wine side as a sommelier and a chef, you know, cannabis and Cabernet, right? You're talking about pairing your cannabis with your wine. <laughs> it's a thing. Um, is that something or do you see yourself getting to either one of those niches, either cooking with cannabis or um, pairing wines with cannabis? Yeah, most definitely. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think the, the most the most challenging thing is making it make sense. Um, there's actually a show on Netflix where they actually use cannabis and like CBD and infuse it into their food. Mm-hmm. And, and they like put a different perspective on it. Cause you know, most people when they make edibles or, or things with cannabis in it, mm-hmm. you know, it's not measurable. It's like, it could knock you off your feet, you know, and you, you don't even want to eat anymore. You know, yeah. you're not able to drive or, you know, mm-hmm. all that stuff. So it's nice to, it's, it's better to learn how to, um, you know, like being a bartender, you can't overserve somebody. You don't want them, you know, being drunk and like mm-hmm. being irresponsible when they leave. So mm-hmm. I think it's the same way with cannabis. You have to be careful with the dosage that you put in the food. You want to make an enjoyable experience you don't want the person to be sitting there paranoid or tripping out their mind when they're just trying to enjoy food yeah, um, looking like smoking think, <laughs> looking like smoking yeah. from friday <laughs> <laughs> checking over they show that every 10 seconds <laughs> like yeah oh, man you want them to and you know the cbd I, i'm a big believer in cbd because mm-hmm. you know it's a it's it's like it's the relaxation without the paranoia it 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 definitely uh helps with uh you know relaxing your joints and and and, and relieving pain um in a natural way not like aspirin and all that other stuff um i think it's 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 effective and mm-hmm. if it's used right it could be very helpful mm-hmm. and uh you know i'm i'm all about natural remedies i don't really you know, I think food is medicine, and I think, you know, that's something that could be explored, mm. you know, and, you know, doing that would be awesome to, to incorporate, you know, pairing those two things together. 100% I agree with you, man. Um, there's, a, there's a narrative there to be explored by uh, both the chef and the sommelier, if you are both the chef and the psalm, you know, and you living in one of those states um, that uh, cannabis is legal, man, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely a, a niche that one should pursue. Um, and if you don't know a lot about it and you live in one of those states and you are a chef or a sommelier, you need to be learning about it because it's going to be a thing. 
or the simple fact that there are some wellness properties associated with CBD. That's not opinionated. That is, there's science behind that, years of science behind that. And so when you incorporate that with wellness um, and with uh, culinary, you know, people are going to want to do that. And it just so happens to be popular. <laughs> That's just game on right, right. there for, for a lot of folks. You know, uh, I don't smoke. I don't partake. I don't imbibe. But hey, I don't judge either. It is what it is. You mentioned one of your favorite books, Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain. Do you have a favorite cookbook? Favorite cookbook? Um, not really a cookbook, but it's, it's <clears throat> kind of a cookbook, The Flavor Bible. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, that is definitely one of mine, too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a really good one. Actually, the... The owner slash chef at Dunning's Market, the deli I worked at, she actually gave me that book when I was there, um, passed that on to me. And it's so, like, it's so good for somebody who, you know, who is continuously wanting to learn about food because it, it tells you, like, what pairs with what, what's in season, um, you know, like, all those things. It's like, and then there's like little stories throughout it. It's it's a really good book um, for you know for an inexperienced cook or for somebody as experienced. It could be helpful for for you know for all levels of cooks and chefs. Absolutely, it's a really good book. Um, you know, do you touch bases with a lot of your uh, predecessors, like uh, your kitchen manager? Do you t- do you stay in touch with them? Do you stay in touch with any of your previous uh, mentors? I haven't talked to all of them in a, in a little while. Like when I go back home to Chicago, I definitely go see my old boss mm. at the deli I worked at. My mom still shops there, so she goes in there often. Mm. Um, and then when I go back home, I definitely go there and, and check them out and you know, take, and I'll buy stuff or, or just kind of hang out with some of my old employees. I think there's only one person that used to work there that that still works there. I don't. I'm, I think he may may just he may have just left um, earlier this year. I think was his last day was um, a couple of months ago. Um, so it's only the owner I know there now. Um, but I go in there and see her every so often when I'm back home. And as far as other, you know, em- employers that I've worked for, I haven't, I haven't talked to them in a while. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll hear from Rocky every now and then. And then, like, when I was at that, that pizza joint, that was – that was pretty quick. So I didn't really build any real, really big relationships or bonds there. Uh, maybe with a few cooks, but I'm only friends with them on social media. Mm-hmm. So like I would say, maybe the chef at, at Cliff, definitely. I still talk to him. Um, John mm-hmm. McConnell, I still talk to him. And a few other people I've, I've worked with um, as far as the cooks. I definitely still talk to them. So for those folks that you do run into when you go back home, um, 
when you go back up to Napa Valley? Because obviously you're in San Francisco right now. Are they surprised how far you've come in your journey in cooking? Um, no, I think they they knew where I was trying to get to, and and they were in full support of it. Um, just like going from Dunnings, I had to get a recommendation, like a letter of recommendation from my owner, which is like ridiculous because I'm working there. And so I'm asking this person to give me a recommendation to go somewhere else. So that, that was, that was tough, but she, you know, she did it and she wrote me a very good recommendation letter and the the counselor at CIA really she she was like man this is this is really good like I'm I'm really impressed with you know with what she said about the things you did at your time there and you know and and it, I think that really helped me to get my foot in the door too into CIA and then at Cliff um, you know that everybody there was really excited for my transition from going there to what I'm doing now, um, very supportive and, and, uh, you know, very appreciative of, of that. Um, you know, cause it's hard. It's, it's hard when you're trying to do things to better yourself, you know, cause a lot of places, uh, will hold that against you. Um, and I was fortunate enough not to have to deal with that as much. Um, in yeah. him through my career, you know, because I, I feel like I gave my all when I was in where, wherever I was at, I pretty much tried to give my all and, and, um, and tried to stay loyal to, to what I was doing. Um, you know, and that's, that's big for me because I know one day I, I would hope somebody would do the same for me if I'm ever in the position um, to give somebody a job or, um, you know, have, have power to, to run a company or, you know, do whatever I want to do in the future. You got to have people around you who are just as passionate as you are, um, or just as dedicated um, in order for it to, to, to work well, I think. No, absolutely, man. Um, I know also that you just recently made the transition from Napa Valley down to San Francisco, a.k.a. the Bay Area. What's it like being there as a chef in the Bay Area? Uh, it's, a, it's a big world out here. Um, you know, I feel like in, in Napa, it's, it's a little bit more uh, streamlined. Mm-hmm. Um, here in San Francisco, it's 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 overwhelming uh, with so much going on here. Mm-hmm. You know, there's uh, a lot of different cultures, uh, a lot of different cuisines, and a lot of different you know different kind of kitchens and. You know, because there's a big food truck scene here, and mm-hmm. um, definitely, uh, like you, you, you kind of can 
build a name in Napa Valley because it's a little bit more of a smaller place. But here it's like you just you're just another person, you know. Mm-hmm. So you got to really earn what you get here. I think. I mean, you got to earn what you get anywhere. But you know, you you're not really gonna be well known unless you you have like a Michelin star restaurant or like a you know you have like a well-known restaurant in town and even then you still you know you still may not be well known which is which is okay with me you know because I'm not all about that I'm just you know I'm more so about getting experience and you know working towards getting something of my own mm-hmm. you know that's really the goal for me in the long run well, one of the things I admired about you um, was that you knew when you got into culinary, you knew the exact niche that you wanted to go in, and that was uh, the food truck industry um, for you. And so you pursued that, and then you got an opportunity at Cliff Family. You jumped on it, and then you learned more and more and more. Um, and then be- them being a winery also, you learned even more. Um, and then now you're at uh, you're down in San Francisco and um, you're doing another uh, food truck venture and you're learning more from that. Um, and so you're just building uh, you're taking these building blocks and you are expanding upon them. Meanwhile, as you mature in the industry, you're gaining even more knowledge. Um, so do you see yourself, you know, starting your own business within, say, the next four to five years? We've been doing something on the side. It kind of started off as uh, me and my girlfriend. We kind of, you know, we we started doing cinnamon rolls um, as like something just for fun. And we would do it basically on the days I would have off. We would have a bake sale, like a pop-up. We would take orders um, and just kind of, to fill those orders only, like make the orders that we would get. Um, but now it's, you know, it's starting to roll into something a little bit more serious, something that we could um, really expand on. Mm. And I think that's like where it all starts, you know, and you can, you know, you can take that and, and then roll into something else um, eventually. But I think this is like the beginning of something else. Um and it's teaching us like how to work together as a team. Um, and it's really teaching me how to like not be so not so demanding and like so like be more willing to you know learn from somebody else um, that may not be as experienced as me, but you know that does love what they what they what they do. Um, because, you know, I've, I've been doing this for a while and, mm-hmm. you know, and I sometimes get a little ahead of myself um, and, and like get that attitude in the kitchen. Like, well, you need to do this, you need to do that. But, you know, like learning to, to work as a partner, you know, it, it takes a lot of patience um, on both ends, you know, because um, you can't you can't like expect somebody to do something and, and you, you're not going to do it yourself. So, yeah, you know, learning to, to, to work through those things is, is, uh, 
big learning lesson. Um, but just not even that, but just, you know, just like connecting with customers, you know, where, where your name is on the line is big. You know, like there was one where we didn't, our, our cinnamon rolls didn't come out like we wanted them to, but you know, it was when you're baking, you can't, you can't like quick fix it. Like you can with a dish that you're cooking. Like you can, like if you mess up on most dishes when you when you're on the culinary side, you can fix it, you know. Um, but when you're baking, it's such a long process that you kind of got to roll with it. Mm-hmm. And um, just like being humble and just being straight up with our customers and, and letting them know that you know that was a hiccup actually came with the reward because. Um, a lot of people were were appreciative of the, you know, the honesty that, you know, that we that we uh, we had with with our product, and and they gave us a second chance to make up for it, nice. you know, and that yeah. and that's big, you know, like that's a big learning lesson to always just like stand next to your product, and 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 don't act like you know everything is all good. Um, and, and I think, you know, it's, it's just the beginning for this. Um, you know, it's just the beginning, you know, and I look forward to seeing where it goes. And Well, I can't wait to, to hear more about that because I know that's going to blossom into something else. And I'm looking forward to you uh, reaching out to me and let me know what's going on with that. You know, as chefs, we all have our favorite tools of choice. We all have our favorite utensils. Um, what's your favorite chef utensil and you can't say knives i would say the wooden spoon okay all right why yeah. the wooden spoon um you know because for some people know, that might like, be that might be a nightmare you remember back in the day big mama tear you up with that, that big spoon yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, the durability, like I still have my spoon from culinary school and it's still intact. Like the metal spoon versus the wooden spoon, I would choose the wooden spoon because, you know, it has that flat end where you can like get stuff off the bottom of the pan if you need to. You're trying to get your your, uh, sauce going or if you need to get the, the juices from the bottom when you're trying to make your your fawn trying to get your fawn up. All right. Now when it comes to kitchen gear and equipment, um, you know, obviously we have our favorites as chefs. Um, but you can't say refrigerator and you can't say freezer, you know. Um like for a pastry chef, I would tell them, you know, you can't say a mixer. You know, so what's your when it comes to kitchen gear or equipment? What's your favorite? I'm going with the cast iron skillet. Like if I'm trying to get a nice caramelization on my steak, a Maillard reaction on my steak, I'm definitely mm-hmm. using a cast iron skillet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or like trying to get some nice char on some shrimp or, or some chicken or some veggies, I'm definitely going to use my cast iron skillet. Do you have a secret ingredient that you like to cook with? I usually use like powdered onion, 
garlic, nutmeg, or not nutmeg, sorry, um, allspice, mm-hmm. um, a little dash of some cayenne pepper. But I like it usually in salt and pepper, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but those those are like I keep it pretty simple with those, and then depending on what I'm like, if I'm making a brisket, smoking a brisket, I'll definitely level my le- like level my flavors with those uh, with those seasonings. Mm-hmm. Um, and if uh, if I want a little sweetness um, for the for the sauce from the drippings, I'll add a little brown sugar and maybe a little dash of some cinnamon or something like that, like some kind of different spice. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like uh, I like cumin to kind of separate it mm-hmm. from other from other briskets or um, other smoked meats. If you had to choose one skill set, just one that you learned inside the kitchen, what would that skill set be? Cleanliness, cleanliness, and organization. Right on. Okay. Uh, yeah, most definitely. Um, just like having a clutter, it clutters your mind and it clutters your, you know, the production. So, like learning to clean as you go and keeping keeping your station organized and and clean definitely helps with uh, keeping a clear mind and. You know, keeping the keeping the flow going because whenever things are like cluttered and all over the place, mm. it's hard to focus. It's hard to it's hard to to make things work when you when your workspace is all messed up or you know when your when your station is dirty and you know that first of all that's not sanitary mm-hmm. <laughs> first and foremost, but I you know that things get crazy. Everybody knows that when you're working in a high-volume restaurant or wherever, your station is going to get wrecked at some point. But you have to learn how to clean as you go so it doesn't end up as bad as it, as it could if you weren't doing that. Have you experienced any negative nuances being a Black chef? I try not to think about those things, but I definitely am very conscious of it because I know that um, a lot of a lot of uh, chefs that we know mm-hmm. or they don't really look like me or you, mm-hmm. you know, on, on TV. But mm-hmm. if you do your research, there's plenty of us out there, you know, and mm-hmm. a lot of us that really want to you know, do our thing in this profession, but but just not well known or not really talked about. Um, mm-hmm. But as far as like discrimination and all of that, I think if I did experience it, I didn't really let it affect me mm-hmm. um, mentally. Um, I would say, if anything, gave me more fuel to to want to uh, like not make any mistakes or give them a reason to, you know, say, I knew I shouldn't have gave you a chance, you know, mm-hmm. or um, try to make any, anybody that's 
before me or after me look bad, you know, because, you know, I think about those things um, as a black chef in this, in this field. About um, the responsibility that we have. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and that's, and that's huge because, you know, I, I want to make sure that I don't mess up a past for somebody that may be in the same pursuit of what I'm trying to do, you know, mm-hmm. and I know that at the end of the day, they have to make their own decisions and, and they have to represent themselves, but mm-hmm. people see what they see, you know, they see me and, and somebody that may look similar to me, you know, may get the same judgment for something I did. Mm-hmm. So, you know, thinking of, thinking about it, like in that perspective, it definitely, uh, it definitely makes a difference in how I approach what I do. Would you say that most, the majority of your experience as a, as a chef and a black chef has been positive, more positive than negative? I would say, yeah, I would say it's been, I think it's, it's mainly because of the environment I've been put in. Uh, mm-hmm. Um. I would say the most negative experience I dealt with was probably in Washington in those two kitchens I worked in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a part of it was maybe because I was black, I wasn't taking it serious, but also my experience may have played, played a part in that too. So, mm-hmm. you know, I never really dove into that too much, mm-hmm. but I definitely thought about it. Um, I definitely thought about it because a lot of the, uh, a lot of the, the the first kitchen I was working in was was uh, a lot of Hispanics mm-hmm. um, in that kitchen, uh, and and uh, I don't remember seeing anybody else in in the back of the house mm-hmm. at my time there. Um, and then just you know moving throughout my career, it was mixed. And in culinary school, I was probably like two out of the like not too many black folks in there for sure and when you started looking into those type of um, career paths mm-hmm. in cooking i always like to pose that question to minority chefs not just black chefs um because i think in a culture that we live in today a lot of people regardless of their race they use certain isms as a crutch and winners we say, damn, damn those isms. We're going to succeed no matter what. And we're not going to let it stop us. Um, and that's always been my mentality as a veteran. Um, and because of that mentality, um, I've been afforded opportunities to be a part of elite teams, elite units, uh, special duty assignments. And then that kept going even after, well after my military career. And it's about the attitude and how you adjust And so for me personally, um, it's been way more positive than negative. Um, Each kitchen is different. Uh, Anthony Bourdain talked about it a little bit. Well, not even a little bit. He talked about it a lot in Kitchen Confidential. Um, There's been many chefs that talk about how kitchens can be cutthroat. 
Uh, kitchen politics is a thing, regardless of the type of kitchen that you're in, whether it is a uh, fine dining, casual dining, or Michelin star. When COVID hit, the world saw exactly how many people did not know how to cook. That being said, what are some of the words of encouragement or advice that you have for anyone that's thinking about becoming a chef? Don't give up. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a journey worth taking. And it's, uh, especially if you love what you do, if you love, even if it's, you know, I have friends who went to school who didn't actually cook. They just love food. You know, they, they love to eat food or they love to talk about food. You know, there's so many different career paths um, that food provides. Um, and you can't get caught up in just thinking that it's a, a one-way street. There's so many different avenues and different um, directions you could take it. And that's like the biggest thing I think you know, sometimes I forget that myself you know, at this at this point in my life that, you know, it's, it, you're not stuck in any. If you want to change it up, you can do that. You can you can change it from, you know, one to work in the kitchen to, you know, one to just work with wines or um, being a food critic or, you know, whatever you you know you have to do research and figure out what best fits you um you know being a personal chef or you know things like that there's so many different routes and 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 food is forever evolving there's so many things to learn about it and you know i i love it and you have to love it and so you have to ask yourself, are you willing to, you know, put yourself through to through things that are going to be uncomfortable at times to, mm. to get to where you want to go? Um, and, and, and if you're willing to do that, then, you know, you you should pursue it, you know, and, and don't let don't let people discourage you from doing it either. You know, people that may fear for what lies ahead of you you know even if you fear for yourself you have to you have to go for it and 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 really know that the the risk is worth it in the, in the long run there it so, is and very well said for our listeners where and how can people connect with you on social i am on steph bells on instagram chef underscore b-a-i-l-s and then also for for cinnamon rolls if you're trying to put in some orders if you're in the bay area it is golden divine golden underscore divine d-i-v-i-n-e on instagram as well ladies and gentlemen gotta check out those cinnamon rolls because if they're anything like them sourdough pancakes you better go <laughs> You will not be disappointed. Trust yeah. me. You're listening to Chef Bailey Johnson. These are our thoughts, and I'm curious to hear what you have to say on the subject. There's always more to share, and there's always more to discuss. 
I'd love to hear your comments. You can reach me at chef-song at eatlivelovetrain.com or you can DM me on Instagram at eatlivelovetrain. It's great to see chefs and restaurateurs come up with new initiatives and new designs. One thing's for sure, as we're figuring out the way ahead, we will always need good chefs to lead both inside and outside the kitchen. Service is the true measure of success. I'll see you next time.